0: What an awesome prayer. You know, if you look through the Bible, you'll see that the Holy Spirit has a couple jobs. One of them is a comforter, right? The one that walks with us, inspires us, and and leads us, and helps us. The other is an aggravator and an annoyer. (laughs) It brings conviction. It stirs us up. And actually, I had a conversation just before church back there, and somebody said, oh, I hope you have an inspiring message today. Thanks, Woody. And I said, well, I will have either an inspiring one, an annoying one, or a boring one. <laughs> and he said, well, you probably won't have a boring one. So and either of the other two are good. And I thought, wow, that's a good perspective. So if I annoy you or I inspire you, awesome, tell me about it later. If I bore you, don't tell me about it. Um, if I say something that just really sounds heretical to you, my good friend Sam and Rachel are here. He's from my former denomination and teaches the class on polity and uh, doctrine, so you can check with him and make sure I'm all right. That said, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Seeing God in Them And last week we talked about how we need to get a bigger perspective on ourselves and our lives because we have this tendency when we get talking to the people around us that we know, that we're used to, that we're comfortable with, we have this tendency to start having God look like us instead of us looking like God. And I would would argue that the vast majority of places in the world where Christians have hurt people— and they do, spoiler alert, when we screwed up is because we put God in our skin and then treated the world out of that, not out of us wrapping ourselves in Jesus and treating the world out of that. And, and so, so that's what we started talking about last week. And, and this week we're going to pick up and we're going to talk about maybe some of the things that we need to let go of in order to focus on Jesus a little bit more. Um, but the story we're going to kind of wrap around here is, is the story of Abram and Sarai. Now, you have, they're the folks that started Judaism. They didn't mean to. It kind of happened. But, but they were these two people that were called by God to start following him. And there was nobody at this point that, at least from the biblical perspective, Yahweh was like leading to start a new faith. And he calls Abram and Sarah. Now, for the record, Abram and Sarai's names get changed later to Abraham and Sarah. So if I screw those up and mix them up, that's what's going on. But, because, you know, it's, you get used to saying it one way or the other. But Abram and Sarai are called by God. And they, they have this amazing uh, calling and blessing that's put on them. But I want to back up just a little bit before their story. So, they get called in Genesis chapter 12. Just before that is the story of the flood. And I don't know why we make this a great children's story because the entire world is annihilated and that's cheery. But there's this flood, and there's Noah and his three sons and their family that survives the flood in the ark. And when they come off the ark, God says, all right, now go into all the world and populate it, right? This is a reiterating of what happened in, after creation. Go and, and populate the world. And it says in Genesis 11 that they come together and they say shortly thereafter in the, the town of Babel or what we would know as Babylon. We're going to make a name great for ourselves, so we're not scattered through the world. And they build this big tower, and God's like, that is not at all what I told you to do. So I'm going to mix up your languages, and I'm going to send you out into the world. So he does. That's why we call it Babel, right? And they're all scattered. And they go to three primary regions. They go kind of north, and they go south down into Africa, and then there's uh, Shem's group as one of the sons, stays in the Middle East, kind of Israel in that area. It's also really interesting, from last week, we talked about chapter 10, where Cornelius, the guy from the north, comes to faith. The previous chapter is the story of an Ethiopian, a guy from Africa, who comes to faith. And the previous chapter is where we see Paul, a guy from Israel, come to faith. So part of the work of God is to bring the whole world to faith. So you have this set up. Now everybody's scattered And God calls this guy Abram. And he says this in Genesis 12. Fix your mic, Trevor. Okay. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, assuming I'm not saying, "Oh, bless your heart," what do you hear when I say "bless you"? Like if somebody says, "God bless you," what 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 are they saying? Bless you. You're sneezing, yeah. Don't die. Whatever you've got that's making you sneeze, may it not kill you, right? B- beyond that, when we hear, you know, oh, yeah, God blessed me, what do we hear? Favor. Hmm? Granted favor? Granted favor? <laughs> yeah? This is question and answer time, by the way. Sorry, folks online, but you can type it into the Facebook thing. What do we hear? Get what you want. Get a lot. I've, I've, I've heard this a lot. I go to people's houses who have really nice houses, and I say, oh, this is a beautiful house, and they say, yeah, God blessed me, which is a nice way of giving God credit for them having a lot. But isn't it interesting? A lot of times we think about blessing in terms of what we get and how much we have. God bless me, therefore, my disease or my sickness went away. God bless me, therefore, I have a big house. God bless me, therefore, that I have a big family, or in my case, I don't have any kids. That took a lot of work, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But we think about getting what we want, right? Except it's interesting here. When God is blessing Abraham, he tells him that the whole reason he's blessing them is so that he can be a blessing to others. You see, the whole point for Abraham here is not that Abraham gets a lot of stuff and gets ahead and does great and gets what he wants. I will bless you so you can bless others. I will make my name great through you, Abraham. You see, I think about it in terms of archery. Now, I'm using my wife's bow because it's prettier than mine. It's pink and camo. But I, I think about it in terms, and by the way, I'm not going to shoot this in here. I have been asked that about a half dozen times today. Uh, I'm not actually that crazy. Um, eh. But Abraham is like the arrow. See, when when you're doing an archery competition or when you're shooting for a target, the arrow is just simply the tool that marks how well you were doing. It's not irrelevant, but the whole point of the the target and the shooting is not about the arrow. The point is God hitting the target he wants to hit. And the, uh, the, the arrow is just the intermediary. It's the thing that goes between the bow and the target. And see, I, I think that's kind of what Abraham is here, right? Abraham is the arrow that God is saying, okay, I'm gonna shoot you into the world and I want you to hit the targets that I wanna reach. You're my, you're, you're blessed to be my blessing. And so God launches Abraham out into the world. It's not about Abraham and his privilege. You see, sometimes I think, we think this calling of God is, a privi- is about us being special and, a pri- and privileged, right? Like, I'm special, God called me. It's not. The reason we are called is not because we have special privilege, the reason we're called is to be given a responsibility to go out into the world to change things and I got to tell you this back to the seeing God in them thing that is something we really do not get culturally in America we are all about our privilege in this country we, we think the world should be about us right like it, it, we should be able to make it safe we should be able to get what we want we should be able to get ahead we should have our freedoms we should have our choice and even if we're wrong we should get justice I mean, literally, we named our superheroes the Avengers and the Justice League. I was on a mission trip in Nepal a handful of years ago. Actually, when I was fairly new at this whole reaching out to people. This is my little crew, by the way, the lady right in front of the tree with the light blue shirt on. That's my very hot wife. She wasn't at the time, but... I mean, she was hot at the time. She wasn't my wife. (laughs) (laughs) He's taking notes, yeah. My bad. (laughs) But we went to Nepal, and we trekked up to this area called Chamrong, which was about a -a two-and-a-half-day walk from the nearest road way up in the mountains, kind of on our way to Annapurna Base Camp. And on the way back, we had to cross some bridges that were kind of like this because there's these big gorges. (laughs) It was a ton of fun. But at one of the bridges we came to, well, at the time, Nepal was in political chaos, and there was a group of Maoist rebels that controlled this region. And so we came to this bridge, and there's these guys standing there with AK-47s. And they go, if you wanna cross this bridge, it'll cost you, and it wasn't a massive amount, but for our team, it was close to $1,000, which we hadn't budgeted for. And some of myself included some of the Americans were like, they can't make us do that. This isn't their property. This is the Nepali thing. And we paid our our permits to be here and blah, 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 blah. And an AK-47 is a really good persuader. So we paid them and they let us go. And I remember being so indignant. Like these are hooligans. They're not allowed to be here. We need to make this right. Who do we call? How do we fix that? And the Americans were raging and upset about how our privilege had been infringed upon. You know who didn't have a problem with that? The Sherpas? They were just like, well, it's kind of normal. (laughs) Why is this a problem? Like, it's inconvenient. You see, my American privilege said, I need to have it be right in my way. I need to be protected and safe. And you know, there are times when we step out and the world is not safe. The world does not treat us like we want. And here's the deal I learned from that, that so often I interpret the events of the world and how it affects me. There were far bigger problems and bigger things going on that there were Maoist rebels there being able to shake people down in Nepal and the governmental turmoil and all of that. I was a bit player. It was not about me. And so often we orient our world and even God around ourselves. Something bad happens and we get sick. Someone breaks into our house. Something bad happens to whatever. God, what is going on? Why don't I matter? Why isn't this about me? You need to fix and reorient everything because I'm uncomfortable. There's bigger things at work. And sometimes you get stuck paying guys off with (laughs) AK-47s. It doesn't mean you don't matter. It just means it's not all about us. So God tells Abram and Sarah, go to the promised land, I'm going to give it to you, and you'll worship me. And so they do. They set out, like staple this thing or something. They set out to the promised land, they come to Canaan, and they go to this tree, and they build an altar, and they worship the Lord, and they go into the hill country outside of Bethel, and they build an altar, and they worship the Lord, and there's this calling, and they're in there where they're supposed to be, and they're super, like, you know, worshiping God, and that's great. And then they start wandering down, and they end up in the Negev, which is a desert. And then there's a famine, surprise, surprise, in a desert. And so then they go down to Egypt. Now, this is a little sidebar, just a fun thing to ponder on, Egypt is, almost, is a lot of times symbolic of the world in Scripture. And the Promised Land is symbolic of living with God. And I see a lot of my faith journey in this, where, ah, God called me, I'm super excited, yay, and I'm worshiping, and you know it's abundant and f- things feel great, and then I kind of end up wandering into a desert and it gets really dry and famine and. Blah. And then pretty soon you start doing going back out into all the things that you did before. Pretty soon you stop looking at the world through the eyes of faith. By the way, that's just a little sidebar for you. So they go down to Egypt, and this great man of faith who's going to build, well, at least three of the largest religions in the world, right? Judaism, Islam and Christianity says this to his wife, when he was about to enter Jesus, or Jesus excuse me <laughs> when he was about to enter Egypt big difference. Uh, He said to his wife, Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. Now, first of all, way to suck up to his wife oh, you are so beautiful. Guys are going to kill me to get to you. Second of all, can I point out here, Abram is 75 at this point, and she's 65. So, go them. <laughs> you can look at your wife, you can still say it any time. And the thing is, he's actually Right? So the next verse, right? When Abraham enters Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. This man who is called by God, who's going to found these three religions that was given this commission that is God's point person to sort of bring the world back on track, gets afraid, lies about his wife, turns her over to a foreign king, and does it long enough that he gets herds of goats and donkeys. Like this isn't like, okay, on this week while we're passing through, we'll just kind of lie about it. You go here and we'll take it and we'll run away. No, he's there. And she's not. And this is practical. It makes sense. I mean, he's entirely right. He could have been just slaughtered by the Egyptians, and she could have been kidnapped, and they take his possessions. It's the danger of marrying a hot wife. (laughs) (laughs) And it was very practical but it was fear based and it wasn't entirely untrue because Abraham, Abraham actually did marry his sister it was kind of a half sister which is kind of weird in itself but that you know different worlds so it was like sort of a half truth wasn't a total lie I think it was still a sell out to let your wife go live with another guy but but it was practical it made sense and see, I think this is where we get back to the, the arrow analogy. So one of the most abused words in the English language is the word sin. Because if I say sin, what do you guys think of? And you can, you know, this is question and answer time. What do you think of? And you guys can type it online too. Miss the, to the mark. Separation from God. You messed up. So what about practically? What's a sin? Stealing. Lying, Lying. cheating, murder, eating too much Taco Bell. Bell. (laughs) Amen and amen. (laughs) Gluttony. See, we think of sin as all these bad things so often, right? Miss the mark is the more accurate statement. So the word in the Greek anyway is amartio, which is an archery term to mean miss the mark. And here's the deal. Abram missed the mark. It was practical. It made sense. It was safe. It was also self centered. Fear based. And he missed the mark of what God was calling him to. I mean, he wasn't murdering people, right? I mean, he wasn't taking the arrow that God was trying to shoot and, like, throwing it at people and stabbing them. I mean, we can really miss the mark, right? You murder somebody, you're shooting the wrong direction from what God intended. It wasn't that kind of thing. But he wasn't being what God had called him to be. And he wasn't operating out of faith. And he was missing And here's the deal. It had consequences. You know, when I was down in El Salvador on one of my first mission trips, of course, I knew everything there was to know about missions, being that it was my third or fourth trip. I was leading this team, and we were going to build this this church. So there was this uh, old trucking depot kind of a thing that had been given to the church and the church wanted to put in a concrete floor and paint it and turn it into a new building for themselves. And so they'd invited us to come and do it. And as we're there, you know, it, the, this, well, first of all, time-wise, we're, alright right, we're going to start at 8.30 and we show up at 8.30 and of course the El Salvadorians don't show up until 10. And then we sit around and we have tea and hang out until finally a truck shows up, flatbed, and they unload that gravel, pile of gravel there, and then another truck shows up and they unload all the sand, and then another truck shows up. Anyway, it's about noon by the time we're supposed to get started. We've got three days to do this project. And so, super annoyed, like, oh, but how inefficient this is what you said you were going to do, and why didn't you do this, and this is what you're going to work with, and ma 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 And this is their plan for how to make the concrete. Go to the next picture. So what they do is they take the sand and the gravel, and they build like a, a little volcano crater. And then they have some 65, 70-year-old woman carry a five-gallon bucket of water, true story, fill the center of that up with water. And you get four or five people and with shovels, and you walk around the outside, and you just shovel the stuff into the, into the center. And you just keep doing it, and you mix it right there on the floor. And then when it's all mixed, then you start you know, shoveling it into the wheelbarrows and take it where you want to go. And I'm watching this process, and I'm thinking, we need a cement mixer. <laughs> like, we, don't, we only got three days. Now we only have, like, two and a half days, and they're probably not going to start at the beginning of tomorrow either. So we need to step this process up. And so I asked through our interpreter, how much is it to rent a cement mixer? And they're like 40 bucks for the day. I was like, we can do that, no problem. Never mind, that was about four days, six days worth of salary for the guys that were helping us from the church. So we rent this cement mixer and they bring it up and of course it doesn't have gas. So then we have to find a gas can because nobody has gas cans. They don't rent cement mixers for four days worth of wages. So they send somebody and they find a gas can, they borrow it, they bring it back, they fill it up, they start to fire it up, it kind of works, it doesn't work. Meantime, our little local folks are just making concrete long story short we left that night we'd done one load with the cement mixer and they'd covered about half the space by doing it by hand and the next day came back and they just powered it out I missed the mark I mean I wasn't sinning I didn't do something horrible and bad. I was just only seeing the world through my eyes, trying to force my will and my culture and my expectations on these people to do things the way I thought it needed to be done. I missed what God had for me and for them. And I think that's so easy to do, right? When we take ourselves and our culture and we look at the world and we say, you need to do it like this. I swear where it might get a little bit annoying to some of you. Why does the whole world need to be a democracy? Trying to force places to be democracies in some ways have made so much chaos. I'm not saying democracy is bad. I love it. I voted yesterday. But we project in our ignorance, in our culture, in our understanding onto the world how things have to be. And maybe sometimes we miss the mark a little. You know, I was talking to Sam. Sam who's one of my favorite ignorants? <laughs> Immigrants. <laughs> Definitely not an ignorant. Immigrant. Boy, I got to yeah. <laughs> He's from England. <laughs> but we were talking yesterday about things about the U.S. that he notices. And that kind of dovetailed into things being sometimes uncomfortable for us. And he's on sabbatical right now and he's, writing this article-slash-book thing, and he said something that I thought was really profound. We we're talking about why Christians think the world needs to be safe, why, why we need our privilege, why we need to be blessed, and he said, our job as Christians is to take the blows for the other people who are hurting in the world, Like our job as intercessors, as Christians, is to stand between the evil and the grossness of our world and bring people to Jesus. Why do we think in that role we're never going to get hurt? Why do we think we're never going to get taken advantage of? Why do we think we're not going to give and have people not turn out like we want them to? You see, our role as the arrow is to take the impacts. Sometimes serving and following God hurts. And that's okay. That's our job. You know, Abraham... Abram wasn't called because he was special and amazing. Abram was just some dude. And this is the piece of the story that I find really reassuring. (laughs) He wasn't the best. He wasn't the brightest. He wasn't the most powerful. He didn't have all the most stuff. He wasn't the most holy, right? I mean, literally the first thing he does after getting called is go and sell his wife out to Pharaoh. And in fact, it's that king who corrects him. We'll get to that in a sec. But Abraham was just a guy. He had his fears, he had his failures, he missed the mark, had his mistakes. And God didn't call him because he was so special, but he became special because he was called. And here's my challenge for us as Christians. You are not sitting here loved by God because you have everything figured out and God really needs you. I mean, sometimes we think that, right? Like, I'm going to screw up God's plan for the the world. If I make the wrong decision, God's going to be total chaos in heaven. Like, okay, we need to shift everything around to make it all better. I, I don't care if you make $500 million a year or $50 a year. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your talent and your skills. He doesn't need any of that. God doesn't call us because we're special. God calls us and it makes us special. God says, you matter to me. I want to use you in the world. So whatever you've got, I want to use it. And I'm going to give you gifts and talents and abilities. And if I bless you, it's to be a blessing to others. I mean, Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 says one of these things that I go, oh, yeah, that's me. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. <laughs> God intentionally uses us in our weakness and our foolishness. It's kind of interesting that maybe one of the reasons Abram was called was because he was going to screw up so many times. Fast forward the same thing he did here with Sarai and his wife, he does it again about eight chapters later with a different king. But being special, being called, does mean that there are expectations and standards for how we live. If we don't use what God has given us, if we do miss the mark, there are consequences and pain that comes from that. Genesis 12, 17 through 20. Sarai is living with Pharaoh. Abraham's getting rich. And it says this, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe, severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her as my wife. Now, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Here's the deal this special person of God who is missing the mark, his missing the mark, his sinning, hurt a lot of people. It certainly hurt the people that got the plague, it certainly hurt Pharaoh, hurt his wife, hurt his family. And it also meant that he was sent away because it hurt God's reputation. You see, God isn't like, how dare you do that bad thing? I'm going to smack you. God's like, look, you've missed the target. I can look at all the chaos. And I think how often we as Christians have missed this calling of God. We get so focused on Political ideologies on Facebook. How many people When I'm sending them away. I don't want to hear that. And they've pushed, hopefully, God out of the building with it. How often do we get confused? And we have good reasons and justifications. I totally get it. But we miss the mark. And people get hurt. And ones we love, the ones around us. And I got to tell you, it's a really bad testimony when a foreign king says, hey, you shouldn't do that. What are you talking about? And I think sometimes it's them that we need to listen to. If people who aren't Christians start saying, you Christians are kind of crazy and not in a good way. Maybe we need to listen and learn from them. You're dogmatic and angry and bitter and we can't have a conversation with you. We have something to learn from them. One last story. I was in India with a team, and this actually wasn't too terribly long ago, about three years ago. I was with a, a United Methodist group at the time, and they had raised some money to, to finish this church. And the church had been in construction for 45 years, and it was big. I mean, it was not quite this big, but pretty close. At least probably two thirds of this. And we put the roof on it, and they were having this huge celebration for this whole region. So they, well, this was kind of the tents that were set up outside for people, not including all the people inside. And so this is a big deal. And they say, we're going to start it. We're going to, we're going to have you meet us at nine. We're going to do food together. We're going to eat. And then, you know, about 10 o'clock, we're going to start the ceremony and we're going to, have to do a blessing and a prayers and they dancing and singing and stuff, which was really cool, by the way. And And then we should be done by about 1, and you guys can go back to doing what you're going to do. And we're going to go back to the hotel and kind of have a rest. It had been like 10 days or 8 days of just labor and hard, sweaty, whatever. So we're like, awesome, we'll be there to celebrate. So about 9 o'clock, we settle into this little room, the next picture. And this is for the honored guests and the pastors that have all gathered, right? So there is a ton of us there. Now, this is actually a little bit later when we're actually eating. But we get there at 9 and we're hanging out and they said, well, we can't start eating until the bishop gets here, Bishop Joseph. So, all right, well, no problem. You know, I mean, everything runs a little slower in other parts of the world. So, whatever, 9.30 rolls around, 10 rolls around, 10.30 rolls around, 11 rolls around. Like, where in the world is this guy? And the Americans, of course, are being, what are we doing? We're hungry. We want to eat. Where's this guy? We were supposed to have started an hour ago. What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. And one of the other pastors explained to us, well, I'm sure he's on his way, but when he's driving down the street, if somebody comes out and they recognize his car, they'll flag him down and ask him to pray for them. And so he stops and he pulls over and he prays for whoever's flagging him down. And I was like, yeah, but... He's like two hours late. Like, can't he just like, God bless you and move on or (laughs) pray for him later? And this pastor looks at me and he goes, you don't want the bishop to pray for people? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, dang. I want my agenda to be more important. How quickly I get things backwards in the church. What are we really about? What defines us? Is it seeing the hurt and the pain in the world and letting God use us to hit that? Or is it, nah, it's my agenda and I want it my way and things should have worked out better and how dare you and why not and all the stuff that comes with that. Because it's really easy to get off mark. As we close, worship team's gonna come back up here. And anything I've said has inspired or annoyed you. Pray into that. If there's ways you realize, man, I've been off mark. So, this is what we call repentance turning around, getting re-aimed, retargeted. God, help me. You know, the story with Abram and Sarah ends with Genesis 13:3 through 4. Abram went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, back to the desert, back to Canaan, Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. And Abram called on the name of the Lord there. So there's a place for saying, screwed up, I've missed the mark, I've been off base and we wander back and we just say God I'm here I want to be your arrow I don't want it to be about me anymore so as we go into this last song as we pray if there's that sense in you lean into that Let's pray. God, I thank you that you call us not because we're amazing, but just because you love us and you want us to carry that love into the world. And so those places where we've been off base, where we've missed the mark, where everything made sense practically, but people were hurt and we did a bad job of representing you. May your spirit right now speak to us. Call us back to being your people. Not for our sake, but for your sake and for the world. Not through us, Jesus, but through you. In your name we pray. Amen.